If we haven't met yet, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and it's an honor and a privilege to just talk around the Word of God. Today, I want to start with one of our favorite stars that we see very, very little of in this time of year, right? In New York State, okay? It's called the sun, all right? So last week, we talked about the sun. This week, we're talking about the sun. Today, I want to look at what might be the greatest, here it is, here's the teaser, the greatest miracle in all of the Old Testament. Today, I want to look at what might be the greatest miracle in all the Old Testament. If you're taking notes with us this morning, we're calling our seventh-ish installment, Risky Requests. Risky Requests. Go ahead, write it down. Risky Requests. This star story has an unbelievable prayer that is so audacious. It was a request that was bolder than it ought to be. A request that went into the heavens and not only began to change the atmosphere, but the entire universe for a moment shifted. This is a star-stopping request from a man named Joshua. Ever say Joshua. He stood on the battlefield, and he made a risky request that his God would tell the sun to stop and stand still. That his God would cause the sun to stop and stand still. Let's read it in Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. It says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. That's fun, isn't it? How many want some good fighting men around you in 22? All right. Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Here it is, the promise from God. I have given them into your hand. In other words, the battle, it's already won. I want to point out when God says that in verse 8. He speaks in the past tense. I have given. It already happened. I have given them into your hand. But the battle hasn't even started yet from Joshua's perspective. So, He's in a battle, or he's about to be in a battle, but God's already saying, I've already given him to your hand. You serve a God who speaks about the battles that you're about to face, the battles that you're currently fighting in the past tense. That's who our God is, because from his vantage point, they're already won, because Jesus has already been victorious, and whatever you need, he is. Whatever you've been facing, he's enough for. The Bible says in verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. So he got the promise, but he didn't sit around and wait for something to happen. He got the promise from God, and he stood up, and he went, and he took them by surprise. He began to march all night and press on and pioneer and lead his men to do work. All right? And they doubled down on the promise that God gave him by working the promise practically. Anybody in the new year going to double down on God's promises by working the promise practically? Come on. We want to be those practical Appliers of our faith, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. He took God at his word when he promised them, and then he went for great by marching and moving all night. All right, God said something, and he moved all night on what God said. God's promises are not that you won't have tough times in 22. It's not that sometimes it won't be difficult. Late nights, pushing, praying. Actually, he said the opposite. In this world, you will face adversity. You will have trouble, but be brave. Take heart. Don't stop. No. These promises that you will have victory, but you might have to get off your biscuit and push and risk it, even though it's not comfortable. You might have to stand up and fight and press and push and believe against all odds and do what you can do, only you can do, when you get a promise from God that says, I will do, or he will do. you got to say, I will do too. I will go. And Joshua shows us how to respond to the promises of God. Not to say, ah, uh, it's never going to happen, or if it's God, it'll happen anyways. No, but put yourself in motion. 
into a situation that's going to require some grit through the night, some push through the night. You know, greatness starts when you are ready to grind with purpose. Some people grind just to grind, you know, they're just grinders. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Some people grind just so they can grumble later. You know, I, I did my best. I, I, I don't, I worked hard and now I have a reason to complain why it's not working. So I just grind in order to grumble. I do everything right. So look at my grit, God, look at my determination. Look how hard I work to obey you. And they grind so they can grumble as a backup plan if it doesn't work out. But people who grind towards greatness never grumble. They never complain. They grind with a grateful, faith-filled spirit saying, God is going to do something if I do something too. Great people grind with gratefulness. They grind with thanksgiving. They get up and they go through adversity and they say, I will be thankful. I will find something right to be thankful for. I'm so glad that God saved me from being like everybody else. I'm so thankful that with Jesus, I make the choice to rejoice in the middle of a midnight march where it's pity or dungeony or courtroomy. And I'm so grateful that when uh, the enemy comes against me, the, the greater one in me is greater than them. I say, there's somebody for me. There's somebody fighting for me. I can't see it. I don't feel it. It's a midnight march, but I'm going to move anyways. I'm so grateful I have hope in the glory of the grind because Christ in me will bring and make it glorious. Do you know that Christ in you is the hope of all glory in the grind of your life? That Christ in you is really the X factor of all glory in your day-to-day, -day, come on, nine-to-five, pushing, pushing, pushing through. Greatness in the grind says, I was born for this challenge. I was born for this uncertainty. I was born to walk by faith and not by sight. I was born. The greater one lives in me. And I will grind this dream out because I was born to go for great. And I'm not going to grind just to grumble. I'm going to grind with gratefulness. I'm not just going to grind just because it's the right thing to do. And I do the right thing. And I choose. No, I'm going to grind because I believe with a faith-filled spirit that God is going to do something greater than my grind. We're walking we're walking toward a battle of five king's armies. That's what he's doing. Saying things like, I've never been closer to dying, but I've never felt more alive. Tomorrow I need some hailstorms, and this is what happened. He needs a hailstorm for an enemy that is impossible to defeat. And some star-stopping power on my side. But it's the middle of the night right now. And I'm hiking, and I'm working, and I'm grinding towards the great destiny that God has for me. Who knows? Who knows what adventures of greatness are in store for me? I have no idea what's ahead, but right now, all I know is I'm moving at midnight and a march. I'm marching at midnight. Ever say marching at midnight. Thank you, Jesus, for the grind in the middle of the night. Thank you, Jesus, that we can keep moving by faith and not by sight. Some people grind it out to complain and be normal. Some people grind it out towards greatness. Let's be those greatness people, okay? With joy-filled anticipation that God's going to take us on a heavenly adventure. It's going to be amazing. And God has something bigger in store for us. Come on. Uh, then I know some people grind, work hard. They're achieving and seeing breakthrough. And you're grinding to go to great and gratefulness. Are, are you grinding to get to great and gratefulness? Are you grinding? I say, are my grinding to get to great and gratefulness? Or am I just grinding to grumble? I'm just not going to grind to grumble and explain away my excuse for trying really hard. Here's the key, point number one from our story. If you're grateful in the grind, you will find greatness. If you are grateful in the grind, you will find greatness. 
So they're marching and putting to practice the promises from God. And in verse 10, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So I did a lot of things at midnight, and I marched. But then in verse 10, God did something. God threw my enemies into confusion and defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. I pray that any enemy that's coming against your destiny, that coming against you would be confused by the Spirit of God, unsure of where it stands. I pray that as they set traps for you or any attacks against you, not only does it fail, but it, I pray that it gets confused and it begins to lose in Jesus' name. Where you're feeling cloudy in the new year, you're feeling unmotivated and uninspired, I'm praying that whatever is coming against you and attacking you, God would turn that thing into confusion and you would be the clear one, you would be the confident one, you would be the one that's making moves in Jesus name in verse 10 Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth and Haran and cut them down all the way cut them down I was say cut them down all the way to Ezekah and Makeda and they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky it's literally raining hail from heaven that's pretty awesome right and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. It's almost like if you're willing to do what only you can do, God will do the impossible and more things will happen by his favor, by his blessing, by his goodness. God can do more in your life through one moment of favor than you can do in a lifetime of trying it your own way with your sword and your weapon and your goodness, goodness and your grit and your grind. God can do more in one moment of his favor than you can do with all your good intention grind. In verse 12, here's the verse that really sums up the way we want to live our lives in 2022. Joshua 10:12. on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of all the people, with everybody standing around him listening, he spoke to the Lord with a risky request. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. Ajalon. Not a very long prayer. But watch what God did in response to the faith of one man named Joshua. Isn't that awesome? Verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jeshar. It's pretty awesome. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed the day going down. Delayed about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man with a risky request. And it says, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Surely the Lord is fighting for you. Surely the Lord responds to requests today. He still answers prayer. Surely the Lord can do greater things. He can do impossible things. Incredible things. The enemy often, uh, oftentimes asks, did God really give you that promise? Did God really show you that? Are you really walking in that reality? Are you sure you heard him right, Joshua, that you would devour the land and you take this by force? And I'm here to remind you that, yes, the Lord said it. And the Lord is fighting for you. I'm positive. Yes, it's God. Yes, it's good. And yes, God is so for you and he is faithful through the middle of your uncertainty, through the middle of your grind, through the middle of your push and your trouble in this world. You're going to have it. But God is good and he is faithful. And I'd like to say, if God is for you, Joshua shows us who or what can stand against you. 
And although the star that we call the sun has never stood still like that before, and it never has happened since, I believe that the same great God who made the sun stand still for Joshua is the same great God who has the ability to raise not only his only son from the dead, but to do the impossible in your life. He will call, whoever calls on his name, he will answer them. Where, wherever a believer is bold enough to have a risky request and say, God, I want you to be in my life in such a way that it leaves no doubt that you are fighting for me. He will show up on your behalf. I want no doubt that you are fighting for me. <clears throat> I want people to look at my life and say, Joshua, surely, Joshua 10, 14, let's put it up. Surely, 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 the Lord was fighting for that person of faith. Joshua 10, 14, surely, everybody say, surely, God was on my side. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. I want to live with such a great God that everybody looks at it and says, that's impossible. That is ridiculous. When people size up your situation and compare it to your situation that should be in your natural ability, they say, only God could do something like that. Only God could build something like that. Only God could coordinate something like that. They say, surely the Lord is with those people of hope. Surely something is going on at that church that they, they can't make happen on their own. Get your expectation up this morning. Come on. Say, surely we serve a great God who can do greater things. There's greatness in him. You don't see the sun stopped unless you're in the middle of the battles. And I want to show you that. You don't see the sun stopped unless you're in the middle. And you don't need to get your expectation up unless you're in the midst of a battle. It's okay to be in a battle. It's okay to be in a fight. We are fighting for this region. We are fighting for our children. We're fighting for this culture. And we're not laying back. Come on, people of hope. We're not done. We're grinding towards greatness. Anybody ready to grind? With gratefulness toward an amazing God who can do the impossible in our life. We're asking God to do something that's impossible. We really are. Get your expectation up this morning, people of hope. Believe that he's still mighty to save in your city. Believe that he's great in power. Believe that he's a God of intervention. Believe in his great compassion, great in love, great in action, that he actually moves and he hears your calls and he answers you. If somebody doesn't go for great things, greatness isn't going to just grind itself out. In the Old Testament, when they went out to war, and we need to catch this as a picture, when they went out to war, they were really going out to evangelize. So they came in to worship, and they went out to witness and to tell everybody how great their God was. They'd go to battle with people that were stronger than them, that had more military than them. And what would happen is the fame of their God, the God of Israel, would start to go up and they'd be witnessing. God is great. God is good. God can do the impossible. You don't want to mess with God's people because God's people have a supernatural force working for them that's far greater than their capacity in themselves. They're not that great, but when God is on them, they're incredibly stronger. And there's this witness going out that with Jesus, the impossible can get done. With Jesus, healing can happen with Jesus wholeness is possible with Jesus there's a life to the fullest in the Old Testament they went out to war to witness to say look at our God no one can match his marvelous works in our lives he saves he heals he delivers he's good he's sweet he's amazing and he empowers us to win he always leads us into triumph and that's what they're going out to tell the world about the one true God of Israel and that's what war means, greater in every way, greater in every way. Everything in this story parallels evangelism, which is simply pointing people to the bright and morning star named Jesus and saying, Jesus is amazing. You know, I like to ask, is anybody sick of like little requests? Can we like unplug this, whatever it is? 
Does anybody want to make a bold, audacious, greater, riskier request made known to God with thanksgiving? I want us to get the need, the objective, the goal in our mind, the goal that we can reach for, to pray for, believe for, something impossible right now in our lives. Something ridiculous. Something risky. And for some of you, that, that might be salvation. That might be, God, save me from this addiction. God, save me from my nothingness. For some of you, it might be reconciliation in your family. God, save me from this breach that I can't get together. For some of you, it's concerning your sense of purpose. You're like, God, give me purpose. I am so depressed. I am so sick of the past two years of my life, and I, you might need joy today. That's a miracle, risky request. Knowing where you're at, knowing where your heart's at, knowing where your head's at, it'd be ridiculous for you to have joy and peace and patience and to be supernaturally filled and okay inside. Are you catching what I'm saying? I'm sick of small requests like, get me through this pain. Get me through this problem. And what, I, what, what I've been praying is this, that you would, this would be, today would be a catalyst that God would use to inspire you to believe for the impossible in your life again. To dream for great things that God could do in your world again. I don't believe that Jesus, thank you, I don't believe that Jesus saved us to survive and barely get by in life. To barely get by in this world. I believe he saved us to change us for his glory. To do these and greater things. To do these things which are great. Not just to survive and be waiting on the world to change. No, to be agents of change and transformation in our city, in our world. And to go for greater with the one who really has the power to like pause someone's life and do the miraculous. To pause the natural and intervene with the divine, with the supernatural. God has the ability to press pause on any life and do the impossible in the middle of your depression. In the middle of your insanity. In the middle of your hatred. He can pause that bitterness and he can intervene on your behalf and say, no, you don't have to stay here forever. I can do a miracle if you're audacious enough to believe and ask him to do something impossible with your pain. Someone needs to go for greater and expect God to do something impossible in somebody else's life around you. Man, I, I don't know, my neighbors, my friends, and people, and actually have an expectancy for God to do something even beyond your pain to somebody else's that causes heaven to pay attention. Say, God, I want you to do something amazing. I pray that your expectation is so audacious, your prayer, kind of audacious, risky request that is able to stand in the middle of your field, surrounded by all your friends, all your employees, all your neighbors, and ask God to stop the star. God, pause the world for a second. I need you to do something impossible. To stop the sun in the sky and stop the rotation of the solar system. I pray that we have such a sun stand still kind of expectation in our church. I pray that we would be those people that say, God, I believe you can do and move the impossible. Yep, we say no small things, no little stuff. We don't want average. We don't want mediocre. We don't want sit down, back down, lay down type of life. We want to go for greater. We want to get off our biscuit and risk our world and say, God, I'm requesting more than that. I'm requesting more than surviving. I want all out march in the middle of the night, all sorts of hours in the night, where unless God shows up, we're all going to look like fools. We're all going to look ridiculous. You have to realize in the story that if nothing happens here, Joshua is just the crazy guy talking to the sun. I want you to notice he doesn't say, God, would you please make the sun stand still? He just speaks directly to the sun. Have you ever spoken to the sun? 
we might get your meds and talk to you about a plan of recovery. People don't talk to the sun. You know why? It's risky. It's ridiculous. Joshua is a fool if nothing happens. He loses credibility if nothing happens. And essentially he asks, where now is the God of the greater? I like Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was the guy who picked up Elijah's mantle. He did amazing miracles. Elijah was the man of God, God's man of power, too sweet to be sour. He turned off the weather like you would turn off your shower. He just turned it off and said, it's not going to rain. And he didn't ask God. He just said, this is what's going to happen. And then Elisha comes, and he comes after him. He's, just, he's been told to go away like three or four times. And he's like, no, I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you. And then a double man, a mantle falls on him. He's like, God, I want a double portion of what my mentor had. And then all his friends, all the school of the prophets, are standing across this river. And he says, where now? He takes this mantle. He takes this cloak. He says, where now is the God of Elijah? And he strikes the water. And if nothing happens, he's a fool. If nothing happens, he's a loser. If nothing happens, he loses credibility with everybody. But he strikes the water, and the water splits, and all his mentors, I mean all his peers, and all the people that are coaching those mentors are standing there saying, God is with him as he was with Elijah. It's the same kind of thing. Where now is the God of greater things? Where now is the God of a double portion? Where now is the God of the impossible, who splits the Red Sea, who parts the Jordan, who can cause walls to fall, who kills with hail stones from heaven and stops the rotation of the solar system? I pray that out in front of everybody, we have the kind of audacious faith that makes us look ridiculous, risky, request to a God who is greater. I pray that you have great requests for a great God. Because many times we have small requests for an amazing God. Small, man-sized, wallet-sized, picture-sized, you know, requests that could fill your back pocket. You know what I'm saying? But I'm telling you that God is uninterested in that kind of prayer. A prayer that you could figure out and a prayer that you could pull off on a really good day. That you could get back to on a really good day with a plan that will happen if you just work hard enough to see it through. I'm praying, but I'm also working hard to make it happen. That's not what Joshua is doing here. He's working hard. He's grinding in the impossible. And then he asks God to do something ridiculously bigger. Sometimes we hedge our bets with God. Sometimes we pray tiny prayers so Jesus looks good at the end of the day if nothing happens. And maybe it's because of what we talked about in week one where we have no vision because we never step out and count the stars and acknowledge how great our God is. But it also could be because we don't want to look stupid or be the reason that Jesus looks stupid. A combination of having little to no faith and pride. That's what it is. Why don't we ask? Why don't we go for greatness? Why don't we go for greater? Why do we not go for sun-stopping prayers? Unbelief. I don't think he can do it. And pride. If he doesn't do it, I'm going to look like a fool. And so will he. God forbid that we lead out and pray in front of everybody. Number one. And number two, just imagine if we prayed and we had no idea what we were talking about. We got our prayer wrong when we prayed it out loud. All right, raise your hand. How many of you guys ever didn't pray a prayer out loud because you felt like you'd be an idiot? And everybody would know that when you prayed out loud, when you said something out loud, they would all think you're so stupid because you prayed the wrong kind of prayer. Come on, I love this honesty. Come on. 
Do you know that some people are held back forever from going for greatness in God publicly because of pride in simple prayer, talking to God? Pride. I don't want to make Jesus look dumb, and I don't want to look down. I don't believe he can do it. I don't believe I can do it. Some people won't ask a person to come to church. Their whole life could be totally changed and transformed. We're in one experience. Their whole destiny could be altered, but because of pride, what if I say something wrong? What if my life doesn't perfectly align perfectly with everything that Hope Church resembles? What if I'm the bad example that ruins everybody's life? You know, what if I have that much power? I can't, I can't ask people to come. I can't ask people to engage. I can't ask people to believe in me. What if everybody realizes I don't know what I'm doing? I don't even know the Bible. I don't even know the verses he puts on the screen. What if everyone sees I don't know what to say when I pray? I sound like an idiot. Like, God, hey, hi, how you doing? I don't know. The sun is going down. I don't, ah, yeah. We could really use a break right now. What if, it's, what if it's not a risky request? What if it's an inaccurate risky request that makes me look like a fool to God? Or even worse, my fellow believers. What if people think I'm a fool? And for fear of the faces of men and friends and other spiritual people, we keep our mouth closed and our great God cuffed to a quiet little prayer closet. Oh, don't worry. I pray in my prayer closet. Okay. Joshua didn't have one of those. He just prayed out loud in front of everybody in the heat of the moment. He's like, I'm not cuffing God to a closet. I'm not going to handcuff my almighty, greater than, awesome God to a closet. I can pray in private, but I can also pray in public. I'm believing God for great things. I don't care who hears how ridiculous and risky my request is to God. And Joshua is seeing God move with a hailstorm from heaven, and it is awesome. He didn't pray for a hailstorm. He didn't think of that. God thought of that. He thought of swords and fighting. But just about as he's about to finish off his adversaries, and it's obvious that God is with him, and hailstones are falling and knocking all the bad guys out, the sun starts sinking. And if the sun goes away, if the sun goes all the way down, the enemy is going to get away. And they're going to lose this battle. So Joshua remembers the promise from God that not one of his enemies is supposed to stand against him. Not one of your enemies will stand against you. I didn't say that. God said that. He's supposed to occupy this entire city. He's supposed to occupy this entire promised land. He remembers that God wills that all men be saved, even in Corning, Elmira, New York. He wills that everybody, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and everybody who dwells therein. And Joshua's like, I'm going out to witness, and I know God wills that every single person connect to Jesus. I know that God wills that every single person connect to their creator. I know it's God's will that all men be saved. And so Joshua, I'm sure, what had to be like a moment of desperation, prays something he's never prayed before. And he matches God's creativity with hailstones, something he's never seen anybody ever pray before, something greater, greater greater than his leader Moses that he borderline worshipped ever asked before from God. Something greater than he even understood scientifically was impossible. But what other choice does he have? So out loud he says this in the presence of all his men and everybody he's leading and the whole nation of Israel. If this would have been me, I would have mumbled this under my breath just to make sure because if it happens, I can tell everybody afterwards, hey guys, you know when the sun sits still and it just stayed a day, like a whole extra day longer? That was me, your fearless leader. I asked God to do that in my private prayer life. It's the power of prayer. Get a prayer closet. 
Because if I pray under my breath or in my heart, it's between me and God, and, and God can still work in power. Why do I have to say it out loud? And I never look like the idiot who doesn't know what he's really doing that I actually am. Are you okay with being the idiot that doesn't know what you're doing relationally that you actually are? Are you okay being that person at work who's super competent and super gifted, but at the end of the day, you're kind of an idiot, doesn't know what you are or who you're doing, what you're doing? You have the ability to look like a fool in the room? I think there's power to that. There is strength to vulnerability to say, God, I, I'm going to do my very best, and I'm going to go with what I see, but I know I am limited, and there is so much I don't know still. There's so much power in that kind of life. God, I need you still. God, I need you still. God, I need you. I'm willing to look dumb in order to see the divine work in my life, to see God do something bigger than me in my life. And so Joshua puts the whole thing on the line. Not like me. I would have been quietly telling, teaching people afterwards the power of prayer in your closet. Because if this doesn't work out, people of hope, we're not reading the book of Joshua anymore. We're reading the book of Joshua's nephew who took over after his uncle started losing his mind and shouting at the sun one day. That's the new book. So not only was it a risky request on the edge of insanity, it was a stupid prayer. And you're like, what do you mean a stupid prayer? What I mean is he got it all wrong. Today in our educated, wonderful, you know, ah, degreed, pedigreed reality, we know that you would never pray, son, stand still. Son, stand still. Son, stop. We know scientifically right now that this isn't even a correct thing to ask God if you want the day to last longer. It would not help us if the sun stood still. The day would not be longer if the sun stood still. Are you catching what I'm saying? He prayed it wrong. The earth revolves. Let me give, break it down for you. The earth revolves around the sun. The big yellow one in the center is the sun. You ever seen the solar system with the hangers? The yellow one is the sun. And all these other things rotate around the sun. Do you realize that the sun stands still? It doesn't make our day longer. He didn't even get the prayer right. But according to what he understood about God, the fact is God loves his prayer. God loves it. And he answers according to what he meant, not what he said. Mm -hmm. Yes. And all the green analytical people in the room are like, ah. I want to fight about it to make sure I understand so I can prove you wrong, and then I'll tell you the answer. Aren't you glad God is not a legalist? That he's greater than that? That he's not on a power trip where you have to get everything perfectly right in the way you ask him before he'll answer your request? How many of you can't stand those legalistic, intellectual people that won't get to the heart of the matter because you didn't say everything perfect on the way to the heart of the matter? Well, Joshua, you said sun stands still, and I did, but the earth kept rotating, so the sun actually went down. I, I stopped the sun for you, but the sun went down, and all your enemies escaped because I'm God, and I'm perfect, and you're dumb. Sorry, you're such an idiot. I can't work with you, son. No, God meets us right where we're at, and he hears our hearts. Come on, people of hope. You don't have to know every term. Well, what does intercession really mean? You don't have to know every term. You don't have to be deep in study of everything. You don't have to be perfect about every scientific measure to see God move. 
and get everything perfect in your life politically before you can believe God for something great in your life. You have to be perfect at relationship to see God do something amazing at the heart of the broken relationship you're in. Go for greater now. You don't have to be perfect in order to go for greater. Make your risky request made known to him now in front of everybody. Run to the throne of grace right now in your time of need. Who cares what they think about your dreams? Who cares what they think about your broken marriage? Who cares what they think about your image? Who cares if they don't realize you don't know everything? It's your need that actually qualifies you for God's greatness. It's your brokenness that actually qualifies you for God to go before you and to come behind you and to surround you with his greatness. What they don't have that you have is childlike faith. I hope that it can be said about us. What they don't have and you have is childlike faith in a God who's greater than your opinions and their opinions and their perspectives and their limitations. Jesus said this when he was walking the planet as God on earth. Unless you have faith like a child, unless you come to me like an idiot, you have no part with my kingdom. You don't really get who I am and who you are. You don't understand the roles of humanity and God. When the sun stands still in your life, you won't have to explain a thing. This is the great part about it. When the sun actually stops and everybody's like, wow, you're amazing, you don't have to explain anything to anybody. They can think you're amazing and you know you're still an idiot. And it's only God who showed up on your behalf. Believe God to go for great and go for it right where you're at today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day of deliverance. Today is the day the depression lifts. Today is the day you start fresh with that addiction. Today is the day you get set free indeed. Today is your day of freedom. He loves you. He's for you. He likes you. And here's the thing about God. He understands you better than you understand yourself. And he has great things in store for you. A future and a hope that's unlimited by your limited risky request even. Because this sun stand still prayer is limited risky request. It's time for you to open up your heart, open up your mouth in front of everybody and say something impossible again. Say something risky again. In your life and in the lives around you, I'm so glad that Joshua didn't get a council of intellectuals together and ask them how the science of this prayer would work. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad he didn't pull everybody in and brilliant minds of the day and how many millions of tons of earth would have to pause? Or could he bend the light beam around just the right way? I'm glad in his lack of knowledge, he prayed a gigantic, gigantic star prayer to the stars, not to God. He just told the stars what to do. Look, knowledge is good, but faith is better. That's, degrees are great, but the divine is always better. Intellect is good. I'm not knocking it, but expectation in a God of the impossible is better. Understanding is wonderful, but I don't worship my understanding. I don't worship my knowledge. I don't worship my ability to fathom. I worship by faith a God who is greater than my intellect, than my headspace, than my ability to perceive. When you're talking about God, there are no levels of greater impossibility. With God, there is no hard impossibility. 
or easy impossibility or difficult impossibility or we'll find out and see possibility. There's only impossible. Well, if I ask them to heal my cold or I ask them to step, they're both impossible. Well, they're not like degrees of impossibility. Impossible is impossible. And what God does all the time, it wasn't a bigger miracle as far as God was concerned to stop the sun. Only as far as we're concerned. Wow. It's the same thing. I want to tell you, it's the same thing. God can heal people. I don't understand it. I don't fathom it. I don't. God can change lives. I don't know how he does it. I don't know why he does it. He can restore broken things. I wouldn't invest if I were him. It doesn't make sense to me that he can break it right after. He can do the impossible. He can rescue people from their shortcomings. And he can stop the sun. Whatever you need, that's who he is. That's the kind of God he is. And I think God loves those kind of impossible prayers from his people better than any possible safe bet hedged in prayers. He likes it when you have a risky request. He loves sun stand still kind of prayers that have run out of man's ability or run past man's intellect or run past being the right kind of person. We serve a God who does the impossible every single day. Well, I would have prayed, earth stand still. <laughs> you know, I don't care. It seems impossible. If it's impossible, I don't care what you would have done. If it's impossible, I don't care how you could make it happen. If it's impossible, it's only just right for Jesus. It's bigger than your opinion. It's bigger than what you perceive. It's bigger than what you believe. It's just right for Jesus. If you're in a situation today and you say the only way that this can happen is if God does it, you're in the right place of hope today. Here at Hope Church, it's where he, I hope, specializes in the impossible. That's where we believe. He does the impossible. We serve a Savior that can't wait to get in your quote, unquote, impossible life. And even as a church, we're here to say we want to see the impossible done in this valley, through this church, in our lifetime, if we have the audacity to ask him. I'd say if we have the audacity to ask him, he has the ability to perform. And that's point number two today. If you have the audacity to ask him in faith believing you've received it, he has the ability to perform, to do the impossible. So don't feel dumb for asking. Don't let pride stop you from going for greater. Don't let what happened with last new, new Year's resolution block you from going from greater resolution this year. If you have the audacity to ask him, he has the ability to perform. Open your mouth. Make known a risky request. I release you to believe for greatness in Jesus' name. I release you to believe for the ridiculous in Je Jesus' name. And again, Joshua didn't play it safe and pull out the Christian complacency clause. That's the end of a lot of bold prayers. It's this, if it be thy will, stop the sun, please. Don't you just want to throw up when you hear that? God, save our city if it's your will. God willing. It's not there. I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see it with J Joshua. Joshua doesn't say, sun stand still if it be thy will. Sun stand still if it be thy will. No, he got bold enough to say, Lord, I know your promises. 
I know you promised me that nobody is supposed to be able to stand up against your people. And according to your promise that you made me when I started out as the leader of this nation, I need you to do something right now. So I want to pray it boldly. God, I know that people will be saved. I know that you will build this church and gather this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, I know what's on your heart. I know that people matter to you. I know that the city is desperate and just right for you. And these people are stuck in dark, hopeless living. I know certain things about your word that I don't doubt. And these believers are circling the same mountains with the same perspectives. That's what killed the last generation. I know. And I need you to do something right now. So I'm going to pray it boldly. Son, stand still. God, please. No. God, if it be thy will, son, stand still. No. He doesn't address God. And he doesn't use the will card that hedges his bets. And the greatness of humility, the greatest version of humility that you can demonstrate is to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't come through, you look stupid. That's the humblest thing you can do is to say, God, only you can do it. I'm going to set you up to do something impossible. Would you, would you make the sun stand still? Sun stand still. I'm wondering if finally you'd be bold enough today to surface a need in your heart, in your family, in your finances to say, God, only you can do it. God, only you can do this. I'm wondering if today you'd even look up from your own burdens and ask God to do something through you to reach someone else beyond yourself and say, God, only you can do this. I'm believing for the impossible in their life too. Well, I'm busy. I, I am overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I don't know if I can take on a greater vision. For other people than I already have for myself. I can barely tread water myself. I like to say point number three today is if the size of your vision for your life isn't overwhelming to you, there's a good chance it's offensive to God. Well, I don't know if I can carry other people and myself. If you don't feel like you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby and you're overwhelmed, it's probably offensive to God. Because what you're saying is everything that's possible for me I go to God for. I'd say if the vision for your life isn't a little overwhelming to you, if the dream that God gave you isn't like a little bit much for you, there's a good chance it's offending the greatness, the power, the ability of your unlimited God. If there's nothing you're believing God for that's greater than your capacity in life, there's a good chance that your great and mighty God is offended at your relationship with him. Because what you ask God for, I want you to catch this. What you ask God for is a direct reflection of what you believe about his capability, his character, and his capacity in your life. What you ask God for is a direct reflection of what you think he's actually capable of. Of what you think his character is towards you, his nature is towards you. And if you have... A God that's kind of there, kind of not, kind of does almost impossible things, but I need to help him a little bit, get over the edge. Something about this bold, audacious, risky, epic prayer from Joshua is that he didn't just pull it out of nowhere. Because what you ask God for is a direct reflection of what you believe about the God who you know. The what is a reflection of the who behind the answer. Who do you know? Do you know the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah? Do you know that God? 
Or do you know, like, the God of 2022, like, barely get through? What you ask God for is a direct reflection of what you believe about who God is. Joshua didn't just throw his sun-stopping prayer up to the heavens like a Hail Mary pass. You know what I mean? You know what a Hail Mary is? It's like that last throw of the football game, and you just toss it up and hope your team catches it and gets a touchdown. After I saw the hailstones, I thought, well, hell yeah, I'll just do a Hail Mary pass. No, 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 no. He knew who God was. Therefore, he knew that his prayer would be answered. He knew the type of God he served and the type of God that was with Moses, so shall I be with you. He did the impossible in Jericho. He did the impossible at the Jordan. He, he, so this prayer is impossible, but it's perfect for Jesus. And he's seeing hail fall from the heavens on his own enemies and whether the weather is taking out more enemies than his own guys are. So he's like, hell yeah, I'm going to get in line with this and go for even greater. No, 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 no. No Hail Mary passes. God, please catch this when I throw it out there. Sun stands still. No, no, no. God, please help. No, he almost commands God. I know that this will happen. When he sees hail falling from heaven, he thinks, what else can heaven do? When he sees God moving in his life, he says, what else can God do in someone else's life? He declares, sun stands still. He knew that this was not just his will or his idea or his own scheme or his own promise, but it was a promise from God that he knew to be faithful in. So he prayed that the God that he knew would do something that he was able to do. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. That intimacy with God, it creates expectancy from God. Intimacy with God creates expectancy from God. That's point number four. Intimacy creates expectancy. Because if you really know who he is, <laughs> you really know what he's capable of. If you know who he is, you know what he can do. When you begin to know God for who he really is, you know how God operates. He's always faithful to his promises. Whatever he starts, he finishes. I know that. Whatever he does, it's good. Whatever he does, it's so great. He's never limited. Never unsure. He never, <clears throat> back and forth, reliable. God is always faithful. Do you know him? Well, I feel like sometimes he is and sometimes, that's because you don't know him. He's always faithful. And your expectancy comes up to the person you know in Jesus. Who do you know? Well, I know God who kind of comes through and kind of doesn't come through. Are you sure? Do you know him? And that consistent relationship with God builds expectancy and confidence and connectivity that turns into crazy star-stopping power and prayers into a creative star prayer and power. So he, he goes from crazy star prayers to creative star prayers because he knows the God that he's talking to. If you don't know God, this is a crazy prayer. If you know God, you know this is a creative prayer. And the miraculous happens. Of course it does. God is good. God is faithful. And God is who he says he is. He does the impossible. And everyone knows, surely the Lord is with these people. Isn't that good news? Surely the Lord is with Joshua. Surely the Lord protects and provides for his people. Surely the Lord is upholding this vision. He did it in Jericho when it didn't make sense. And he'll do it again for us right now because he's faithful. Over the course of his life, we see Joshua growing in intimacy with God. As a kid, this is the same Joshua that knows it's better to focus on the gigantic God that you have than the giant enemies of the land. 
He and Caleb are only two of ten spies who say, man, I see giants all over, but God is so much greater than giants. While ten other Christians would say, I only see what we can't do with limited grasshopper vision. He says, I see what God can do with unlimited giant slaying vision. So he's been working this relationship with God for a while now. And that relationship, you know, always gets accelerated, promoted when he looks at the great power of his gigantic God. And not at what everybody else sees or perceives. And, you know, people in his old church accused him of being too optimistic. You know that. They accused him of being too ambitious. But now, sad to say, he's in a much younger church of all the children of that same old church where God allowed him and the other old believing buddy Caleb to continue to go for greatness while everybody else got left behind. Because people can only fight God's promises for so long before they limit themselves right out of the great things that God has for them. Because God will never limit you. You will limit yourself. With their arguments and their disbelief and what they know about a bad God who kind of comes through. So he's an old man and a young church that finally has permission to go for greatness because he's left that limited mindset group of people behind. Anybody ready to leave limited mindsets behind in 2022? And Joshua says, whoa, 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 Joshua says, in that same place of intimacy with the God he always knew was better than people gave him credit for. The God he always knew was greater than all the church that he grew up in gave him credit for. And he is leading this young generation of soldiers with audacious expectancy. The normal for them is to go for greatness. Not complain or grumble or be consumed with self-ability and self-perception. He says, I've looked at myself like a grasshopper before. I am done with that. Anybody that wants to run with me, you got three days. Get your head out of the gutter. Get your head in the sky. Come on, we're going to believe God for greater things. You're not gutter people. You're not grasshopper people. You're not low-living people. You are the God of greatness. You serve a God of greater things. And I bet... The number one teaching that Joshua and Caleb taught these young people was never grumble. Walk in a circle and don't say a word. Always choose a grateful attitude while believing God for greater things. Joshua and Caleb spent 40 years growing up around grumblers, millions of them, crippled by the unbelief of promise doubting. Well, it's good, but it's not that good. It's a new year, but it's not that great. You know what I'm saying? Questioning God's greatness and his good nature every step of their miraculous life. And they wanted a different culture. Joshua said, I'm believing God is good, and he only does great things. He says, that will not be our culture. Shut your mouth. If you've got nothing good to say, don't say a word. We're walking seven more times. And the miracle that Joshua performed was to get millions of people walking in circles for seven days without saying a word. That's a miracle. And then what God did, because he was willing to create a culture that said, let's go, shut up, let's move, let's believe God, even though everything in our mind is telling us to run for the hills back across the Jordan and circle the same damn mountain, we're going to run forward and we're going to stop in circles, walk in circles, walk in circles, walk in circles. And all of a sudden, you see God do something great and there is no turning back. There's no turning back. Don't tell me that Joshua didn't have walls falling when he spoke to the sun in his mind. So their whole life, Joshua and Caleb relate to God as good and great, even when they're surrounded by doubters and unbelievers and grumblers, because intimacy with God breeds expectancy from God. They expect God to save. He is able to save. They say, my God is mighty to save. 
Well, I'm surprised. People keep getting saved at Hope Church. Where's the real fruit? I mean, what's really going on here, you know? Yeah. Well, we see baptisms, but, you know, it's not that great a deal. You know, I'm actually surprised. Why are people getting baptized? <laughs> Whoa. Jaded to Jesus, grumbling all the way through, shoes that never wear out, food that falls from the sky every day, quail flying low, tunnels of fire every night, air conditioning in the day. Are you sure? You want, that? You want to keep talking, grumbling, griping about what you would do if it was up to you? You see what I'm saying? God is able to save, and he's good, and he's great, whether you think he's doing it your way or not. He's going to be God by himself. Now, it's normal for their church to always be thinking of lost people, where they always used to come to church thinking of, how's God going to provide for me? Now they're thinking of witnessing to lost people and seeing God move. And they come to church every weekend not thinking about themselves and how they're going to get fed and what manna is going to fall from heaven. They come thinking, God's going to do something great on display today. And oh, so many people, so many people are going to experience God and his power. They're like, we're going to evangelize through war. We're winning people. We're winning the loss no matter the cost. We're expecting God to save lives. There's such a dichotomy between his old church and his new church. They come to church for themselves to get fed. These people come to church to feed others. For years, they wanted so badly. Joshua and Caleb wanted so badly to believe that they were well able to take the land and go for greater. <laughs> Even earlier in life with his pastor Moses, the Bible says in Exodus 33, 11, that when Moses went into the tent and he communed with God, Joshua got to intimately know God with him. But when Moses left, Joshua stayed in the presence of a great God who was handcuffed by the people of God. See, Joshua knew the presence of God. He knew God spoke. He knew God moved. He'd been following God for a long time. And at that, all that presence time, he was itching to not just be soaking in God's presence, to go do what God called him to do, which was to go out, evangelize, make Jesus famous throughout the whole entire land. We can go now, Moses. No, nah, they won't go. We could do this. We're well able. Ah, nope. We actually all have to wait for everybody to die, and then I'll die, sort of, and then you can go. Oh, he loved the presence of God just as many, anybody else did in church, if not more than anybody. He soaked in the presence of God. He sat in the presence of God. He saturated himself in the presence of God. But he was sick of aimless, wandering, and self-absorbed miracles that were for me and my family. Hallelujah. Bless me. He wanted to see somebody else experience God. He wanted to see the land taken that God, he wanted to see other people's lives changed. He wanted to see his city come to Christ more than goosebumps in the presence of his tent with his leader, Moses. I think it's cute, Moses, but we are born for greater things. I love walking in circles in the desert with you, and I really respect you, and you got power. God is amazing. Yeah, he is, but what do we do with it? Oh, we absorb self? We worship self? We worry about self? Oh, I, I think God's greater than that. We are well able to do greater things. He was going for greater. <laughs> he was going for greater than wandering in tent time in the presence of God. I don't, I don't want to wander with tent time and call it success. He was sick of playing church. 
and getting goosebumps that lead nowhere. He said, God's presence is for a purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I saw water come out of rock, but that was just God trying to convince stiff-necked people that he would do anything to provide for them. Yes, I grew up with shoes that adjusted to my feet miraculously and clothes that never wore out and food that fell from heaven every morning and a pillar of light and it goes on and on, but he wasn't satisfied with just church people seeing God's greatness. They saw it and complained every opportunity they got. He wanted greater than that. He knew there was a greater purpose. He wanted the world to know there's one true God. He wanted every life to confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a greater one that really changes lives, and he's not just for the right kind of people. He's for all people. He wanted everybody to be free from poverty and barely get by and enslaved mindsets that controlled his people for so long. And now he is separated from that culture of disbelief. Thank you, Jesus. And he's been intimate with God, but not without a purpose. He's intimate in order to initiate something in his world. What are you intimate for? Why do you love God so much? If it's not intimacy in order to initiate something bigger than self, it's kind of going to go nowhere. It's kind of going to circle mountains. His intimacy all those years is about to manifest in expectancy that God can do something with that kind of faith. Because intimacy equals expectancy. In the midst of a battle, because he knew who God was and he knew what God could do, he could pray a gigantic prayer. And he could cry out to God on behalf of those five kings and their people and say, God can do great things again. Son, stand still. Son, stand still. If you promise that no one escape your power, keep the sun out for an extra day so we can witness to everybody. Son, stand still in Jesus' name. Without the in Jesus' name part, which really freaks you out. So we've been following God for even a little while, I'm telling you. What you're beginning to do is learn who God is and how he works and how he moves. And you can only figure that out by following him and being in his presence. That's why I come. It's so good to be in his presence. Hope Church is a place where you can experience the presence of God and grow in intimacy. And out of intimacy comes expectancy. If he's done it for me and he's so sweet to me and I, I just know who he is, I want to see what he can do. And other people, if he can do it for me, he can do it for somebody else. If he can save me, he can save somebody else. If he helps me this much, what can he do for other people? Expecting to see, to see God move in other people's lives the way he has in your life. If he's changed me, he can change anybody. Amen? Amen. Get intimate with God, but not selfishly. To be absorbed with your, oh, I know all these verses, and I know all this language, and People really seem to like me at church, you know? But when I go to work, they hate me. Don't get intimate with God to be impressive. Get intimate with God to make an impact in your world, selflessly, to be absorbed with God's greatness and have that capacity to change other people's lives. What happens is everyone in church is chasing intimacy with God. It looks like we're all doing the same thing with the same vision, but only two men were spending time, intimate time, in the presence of God to go for greatness. See, everybody in church went to church. All the Israelites went to church. Two out of millions were going with a purpose to reach other people, to do something great with what they've been given in Christ. I want to tell you, intimacy with God, it's practical. It's relational. And it helps you know what to look for 
when you're going for greater things in real life. It helps you see what the majority miss, how to think in pressure moments, how to lead under pressure, what to ask for, how to risk it, how to go for great. So finally, Joshua is in this place of freedom as a leader, but also as a believer, to believe big again. He's no longer cuffing God to his closet living. He can be loud. He can speak up. He's been surrounded by people of faith and expectancy and confidence in God to save. He's not the only one who claps. He's not the only one who says, God is able. He's not the only one who just applauds truth. He's the guy who applies truth. He has a whole army of people applying God's truth in faith, believing that when we speak, God moves. These people around him, they know he's not crazy for talking to the son, but they know that God is with that man. God is with us. God is our God. And our, what our parents never saw, what our parents never could get over the hump, what our parents could never believe, I believe it. Again, years of relating to God intimately in the middle of holy frustration. I mean, he was frustrated. And finally, he's surrounded with people who can expect that if I pray a great prayer, something great is going to happen because I serve a great God. So he's not just throwing it up there, you know, see who catches it, hoping that sticks to heaven, you know. No, he knew that when I pray this prayer, God's going to show up. And he's going to show off. The Bible said when he said, sun stands still, the whole earth began to obey that command. You know what's interesting? That the people they were fighting worshiped gods that were the gods of the natural elements. They served the sun god. That's who he spoke to, the god who controls the sun. And he, they served the moon god, and he also spoke to the moon. And they, they served the weather god, and the hailstones are killing them. So the true god said, you serve false gods. You serve things that don't really follow through. Look at the hail. Watch the sun not go down. And watch the moon pause. And God's greatness is on display, saying every idol, every other god, Nobody comes close. In other words, there is a greater king. There is a greater God. There is greater power with these people of hope who run with God's purpose. And they have victory. They have victory before they even begin. It's already theirs. Past tense. The victory I have given you, Joshua, before the battle begins. People of hope, you have won before you stepped out on the field today. Young Joshua and Caleb have been trying to convince us for 40 years of indecision that the greater God, the God that can count the stars, call the stars, bow, the stars bow to him. He can stop the stars as well. The same God who created the heavens and the earth can pause the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for him. And it's from that relationship that Joshua knew that greater things that God could do and wanted to do on their behalf. It still takes faith, still takes stepping out, Still takes risking it, speaking out, but God has a proven track record of being faithful, is a proven track record of being good. Maybe you don't know that about God this morning, but God is good. He is for you, not against you, whether you realize it or receive it or not. He's out to bless your life, not to destroy your life, whether you realize it, receive it or not. And I say, don't just take my word for it. Get to know him for yourself. Relate to him in your own life. Talk to him. Read his word. Get intimate with him yourself. And you will come to know and expect a God who only does great things in your life.